Welcome back to the Healthy at Cerner podcast and to another episode where we come at you with another topic related to musculoskeletal health. I am Rebecca Grube, and with me again is my brilliant co-host, David Albers. Hello. Today, we want to talk about a subject that isn't just limited to injuries and musculoskeletal conditions, but can really affect any area of your health. And that topic today is the danger of a diagnosis. Now, we're not trying to say that the act of diagnosing is inherently a bad thing, nor should we necessarily avoid pursuing getting a diagnosis. Obviously, there are many circumstances, especially with life-threatening diseases, Mm -hmm. when you need the right diagnosis. It's not only valuable in these cases, but we know it's also critical for making the right call in treatment decisions and potentially in having to take certain life-saving measures. So we know that there is significant value in having the right diagnosis, and we want to make sure that that's clear before we get into some of the problem areas of having that diagnosis. So we're going to get into some of the benefits of a diagnosis, and the disclaimer is, of course, that these benefits are true if the diagnosis is correct Mm -hmm. and if it fits your situation. So first of all, having a diagnosis helps you as the patient gain knowledge of your circumstances. Mm -hmm. It allows you to understand what's going on with your situation, what's happening with you. It can help you start to connect the dots between the cause and effect. Mm -hmm. It also can help you as a patient make better informed decisions, decisions about what provider to go see next, where to go for treatment, um, what are the next steps in terms of potentially imaging, yeah. is surgery even an option? Yeah, yeah. And in addition to the patients not only making better informed decisions, it helps the providers make better informed decisions. So they're going to figure out what is what exactly they are treating, which helps them determine that treatment. And the any kind of rehabilitative plans, and like you recommended, surgical interventions, potentially imaging. Another point can also provide relief in knowing just what's going on. So now there's something that, that has been identified and that you can start acting upon. So knowing that there's nothing wrong or knowing that it's not as bad as you initially thought. Mm-hmm. So we certainly don't want to discount the pursuit of or Mm -hmm. the benefits of getting a diagnosis. It is important to have a diagnosis, but I really feel like it better be the correct one. If you get a wrong diagnosis, it can start to lead you down the wrong path. And we have seen it time and time again that people can spend months and even years treating something that isn't the actual problem. Right. So for the remainder of our time today, our hope is to provide some context around musculoskeletal diagnoses in particular, how being diagnosed can itself become a barrier to your healing. And if you're a provider, your words really matter Mm -hmm. and why those words matter when communicating a diagnosis. And then finally, what you should do when you are diagnosed. So, David, before we dive in, I think maybe it would be good to provide our listeners with the definition of the word 
diagnosis. Yeah. Well, according to Webster's Dictionary, it's the it's the art or act of identifying a disease from its signs and symptoms. So the decision reached by diagnosis, investigation or analysis of the cause or nature of a condition, a situation or a problem. So really, I like that term investigation. I kind of think mm-hmm. myself as an investigator when I'm talking with somebody. Yes. I'm hearing what they're saying. I do too. <laughs> and then I go and I use my tools and then I get things like range. I'm collecting evidence is yes. what I'm doing, collecting evidence to figure out what is going on here. Yes. So when we get into musculoskeletal diagnosis specifically, I think there are a lot of problems with mm-hmm. the terms that are commonly used. Many traditional diagnoses are umbrella terms. And with our knowledge and expertise, what we kind of know about the musculoskeletal system, these umbrella terms are not very specific to the actual problem going on. Right. If you go to see your primary care provider for, let's say, a non-acute injury, so this is something that's just sort of creeped up maybe over the last few weeks or few months, Um, you don't recall a specific injury ever happening, Mm -hmm. it's very likely that you are going to be provided with a diagnosis of an umbrella term. The reason for that is because most primary care providers, and this is not putting down primary care providers, they're experts definitely in their field, but they're not necessarily experts in musculoskeletal care. And most of the time, they're not going to understand the idiosyncrasies of joint mechanics, the intricacies of connective tissue behavior, and even the responses of the nervous system to injury or mobility limitations. And that's something that we really understand very well. Mm -hmm. So back to the primary care provider, they have to name something. They can't let you as the patient walk out the door without having provided you an explanation or a Mm -hmm. name for something. And they furthermore have to submit a code number to um, be able to submit your claim to insurance. But at the end of the day, it may not actually be representative or that diagnosis may not be representative of what's actually going on at the tissue level. Right. So we have a couple of examples yeah. of this. I think one of the first ones that comes to my mind, um, we, we have a couple of lists, we have a, a couple to think through, but one of them was actually tendinopathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times you will have pain around a joint or pain with movement, not necessarily knowing what caused it. And a lot of times you will walk out with a an assignment of a diagnosis of tendinopathy of something. Mm-hmm. So that does tell you, okay, there's something wrong with the, maybe something wrong with the tendon, but it doesn't really get specific as to how it started and really how to go about most effectively treating it mm-hmm. either. Um, and I see that a lot with shoulders mm-hmm. and lower legs. So like shin splints or medial tibial stress syndrome mm-hmm. are two that I can really think of um, that, I, that I've personally encountered pretty often. Yeah. I think another common one is patellofemoral syndrome. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, this is very much an umbrella term that many providers use just to say, okay, you've got pain in the general area of the knee Mm -hmm. and we can't necessarily find anything torn or, you know, nothing is just sort of um, screaming at us that this tissue is injured. So we're just going to throw a label on it that it's patellofemoral syndrome and maybe give you a prescription for some anti-inflammatories and hopefully it goes away. Maybe give you a brace and 
Yeah. Tell you to avoid heavy things, certain movements or something like that. Tell you to adjust your lifestyle in some way. Yeah. Yeah. And so you then, as the patient, go home and maybe you Google patellofemoral syndrome and you see um, a number of different explanations. But as experts in the musculoskeletal field, we know that patellofemoral syndrome isn't really telling us anything. It's just telling us that, okay, you have pain around the knee. It's not telling us why, what specific tissues we need to target Mm -hmm. with rehabilitation and so forth. And so there's a lot of these terms. Um, You mentioned shin splints, tendonitis. Tendonitis is a little bit more specific, but it still can be used as an umbrella term quite often. I think bursitis is another one. Bursitis is usually just a symptomatic result of some underlying source of dysfunction that's going on. Mm -hmm. I think the second point with the problem with musculoskeletal diagnosis is that your diagnosis might not be telling you the whole story. Absolutely. So one really good example of this, and we've... um, We've talked a lot with our chiropractors about this specific issue, are mm-hmm. slipped or bulging discs. And I think it's important to know that any sort of issue with a disc are generally not permanent right. injuries. They're not. They often occur due to excessive loads, compressive forces on the spine, and more often than not, due to lack of movement and hydration in the joint space of the spinal column itself. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much like an acute thing. Right. You're like, you did something and, oh, I felt like I slipped a disc or something. It is definitely more a result of, like we talked about, dysfunctions and, mm-hmm. like you said, lack of movement. Yeah, and I th- I'm glad you brought that up because when I think back to the patients who have come to me and told me, yes, I've had an MRI and it shows that I had a bulging disc, you start to listen then to to their story of the pain that they've had and the the pain that they have had or how it developed doesn't always fit mm-hmm. a diagnosis of a bulging disc. Right. So we have to be really careful that, you know, just because you have pain, it doesn't mean that it's due to a disc problem. And right. I think there was some statistic that 90% of the people who have disc issues do not have symptoms. Right. So it's very possible that the pain that you do have, you may not have any sort of a disc problem in your lower back and Mm -hmm. vice versa. You may have a disc problem. Uh, Shoot, I might have a disc problem right right now, but I don't have any lower back pain. Right. And you're not necessarily limited functional in -hmm. a functional capacity of it either. So yeah. (laughs) And a lot of these people that we then evaluate who do have disc issues, when we start to evaluate the movement of their spine, it's very clear that they do not have great mobility of the spine. Now, Mm -hmm. is that due to the disc issue or has the disc issue been a result of the fact that they don't have good movement in the spine? It's the latter. Right. I can, (laughs) I will put my life on that, (laughs) that movement issues are always going to lead to whatever the injury is or the pain that you you mm-hmm. end up having. Absolutely. And right along similar lines, I think osteoarthritis is another term that can really determine or kind of drive somebody's story that they're developing in their own conscious mind. Um, and I think something that both of us hear quite a bit of 
somebody may come in with knee pain and they're they're you listen to their story and they're basically just kind of okay with it like look my parents had arthritis i have osteoarthritis um, because they saw that there was some arthritic changes i'm using air quotes there you guys can't see that arthritic changes in their knee mm -hmm. over time but you know if you look at a 16 year old's knee you're going to see arthritic changes mm -hmm. you can't just tie osteoarthritis to pain and then whatever happens after that just attribute it to oh I have osteoarthritic knees or whatever joint. It's interesting with this particular one because one of the one of the symptoms of arthritis is pain in or around a joint, particularly with movement. So, I mean, congratulations. If your knees hurt when they move, you technically have a symptom of arthritis, but that by no means means that you actually have arthritis and mm -hmm. it shouldn't be governing mm -hmm your story either yeah. as far as your activity or what you think you can and can't do yeah things like that and um mm -hmm. you were talking about how something like a slip disc or a disc problem is usually the result of a mobility dysfunction mm -hmm. that has led up to this point i think arthritis falls in the exact same bucket yeah it's a lack of movement a lack of putting appropriate movement through your joints very regularly the joints just they get they lack mobility and they lose functionality. And over time you get these changes that happen in the joint. Yeah. So I think when you are diagnosed and there's probably a lot of you listening in that have had diagnosis either through imaging or your provider has told you you have X issue mm -hmm. that you just have to not necessarily take it with a grain of salt, but you do have to ask more questions. And we'll get into a little bit later on in this podcast what should you do with an actual diagnosis? But mm. I think the example of osteoarthritis is a really good one leading into kind of our next area to discuss, yeah. which is how the diagnosis can become a barrier for your healing. Mm -hmm. Many people who have been diagnosed with, we'll just say arthritis, we'll use that as an example then start to create this story around, oh, I shouldn't do, I shouldn't run anymore, mm -hmm. or I shouldn't um, squat heavy weight anymore. There are things that maybe I shouldn't do because, you know, either my doctor has told me that it's going to get worse, or I don't have the strength in my knee, which again is kind of another yeah. <laughs> poor phrase to use, um, that will even support the activity that I want to do. So I think being diagnosed can affect us in many ways, not the least of which is what goes on inside of our heads. Mm -hmm. I think the first thing that I will see in someone's face when I'm talking to them and they tell me what they've been diagnosed with is a sense of hopelessness. Mm -hmm that they had this maybe thriving life prior to their diagnosis and now they've been told, okay, you have a torn rotator cuff or you have a slipped disc in your back and there's then all of these questions kind of swirling around in their head, like, is my life going to look like what I want it to look like mm -hmm. into the future? Is my life, you know, essentially over in the ways that I've lived it up to this point? And I think that's a question, I think it's a question I'll commonly, well, I phrase it differently for every individual person, but you do, you kind of ask that question. It's like, well, what do you feel? They may come into you with a, with a specific complaint and they say, they, they communicate those things like they do feel like they can't do these things anymore. And then you have to ask that question, 
well, why, what is making you feel that way? Because mm-hmm. I don't always just say it's because of this arthritis that I have. Mm-hmm. So really, it really does more often than not always ties back to this condition that they believe mm-hmm. they have that will never change. Yeah, exactly. And of course, then that can lead down a road into depression mm-hmm. and and truly avoiding things in their life. And so that's kind of the next thing what we will see is what we call fear avoidance beliefs mm-hmm. or avoiding movement, avoiding activities in their life because they're now fearful that you know they shouldn't or their body can't handle it anymore or their injury is going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Um, one story that I read about was a woman who had been told by a bunch of different physios that she needed to work on her core and that she was extremely weak in her abdomen area and she had been seen for lower back pain. Mm-hmm. And This narrative was reinforced to her so much that her core was weak that she actually made some family planning decisions not to have a baby because in her mind, she didn't think that her core could handle the weight of carrying Mm -hmm. a baby. And we see this all the time. I mean, that's kind of an extreme example, but a more simple example is I had a patient or I have a patient that I've been working with for a few months on just some generalized hip and lower back pain. And prior to working with me, she would not go to Costco with her family because she wouldn't be able to walk around for as long as they wanted to walk around. And Mm -hmm. then she felt like she would just hold everyone back. And so she essentially stopped going And through the process of rehab and then, you know, my words helping to build confidence in her, she told me last week that the weekend prior, she went to Costco with her family and she said, you know, I didn't really know how well I would be able to do. But to my surprise, I was able to walk around the entire time and we even forgot something on the other side of the store and went back. And and I said, that's that's awesome because, you know, fear limits us so, so much. And it's like, well, the what if I get to the other side of the store and I'm in too much pain to get back to my car? Yeah. So it's it's really trying to build confidence in people from a provider's perspective. But, you know, that's a real thing that people will avoid movement just because they've been told that. Yeah. You know, it's dangerous to do so. I think it's interesting to find, and I know we're not really like talking about all the super intricacies of pain, but we commonly find pain and fear tied together. And I'll tell you that that mental aspect with pain is is always there. I don't know, particularly with low back, patients is a huge one where you're right, they fear certain movements because they think it's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. And they probably would actually feel or experience pain when they do those things a certain way. But we can, how many times has it been where we'll simply just have them pretty much do the exact same thing, but from a slightly different body position, Mm -hmm. and then there's no pain. Mm -hmm. So you can start to Mm -hmm. show and say, hey, you see how you're actually okay when you do these motions. Mm -hmm. So along with those words that inspire confidence and take away fear, just also demonstrating to them, you're, you're going to be fine. Yeah. So we, I see that, I see that a, a bit as well. Yeah. And I think another issue with being diagnosed is the aspect of kind of guilt and mm-hmm. frustration, guilt that, you know, maybe they aren't 
doing the exercises that were prescribed to them or as often as were prescribed to them. And that Mm -hmm. sort of leads them down a pathway of shame, frustration, maybe that they aren't getting better despite doing what was prescribed. Mm -hmm. And the issue may not necessarily be in the patient's compliance, but perhaps even a poor diagnosis or an ineffective strategy from the physio that they're seeing or from the provider that they're seeing. So, you know, the frustration that you're not getting better may not be your fault as the patient. It may be that you were just given a really terrible diagnosis and you were led down the wrong pathway. And then I think the last, and this may be probably the the biggest thing that Mm -hmm. I see with diagnosis is that it can become a part of our identity. That, and I I saw, I was reading a few articles in preparation for this podcast, and I came across a really great quote um, by John Elder Robinson, and this was in an article published by Psychology Today, that that is the danger of a label. Some people read what's associated with the label, and they make it self-fulfilling. They let go and become the label, and that negative outcome can even be reinforced by others around them. Mm -hmm. So I will see, you know, people come to me and they will tell me, you know, I was diagnosed with leg length discrepancy or I was diagnosed with a bad knee or Mm -hmm. like your example earlier of I have arthritis in my knee. And so they kind of become maybe even amongst their family. Oh, that's Aunt Shirley with the bad hip or Mm -hmm. that's you know, Uncle John with the bad knee, and it becomes, it can even become sort of a prideful thing mm-hmm. for some people, and, and it becomes like a part of, of who they yeah, actually right. are. So then this really leads us then into, if you are a healthcare provider listening right now, you have to be so aware of how much your words matter. Mm-hmm. You have to choose your words wisely when you are communicating to your patients what their diagnosis is and how they should go about healing themselves or or going into recovery. And it's really more important to communicate to people what they should do versus what they should not do. And again, another um, quote, this was from Darlow et al., which was an article titled The Enduring Impact of What Clinicians Say to People with Low Back Pain. The quote goes, if the focus is on what you should not do rather than what you should, it gives the impression that recovery is more dependent upon avoidance of rather than performance of movement and activity. And I think this is so common. How many times, and we probably all have been injured or diagnosed mm-hmm. with something, and you know, your provider tells you, well, you're going to need to stop squatting, or you're going to need to stop running, or um, be careful when you bend over, be yeah. careful when you pick up your child. You know, there's all of these sort of should nots, right. or be careful of, avoid this or that, and... I think that's really dangerous because, again, it instills this Mm -hmm. fear-based mentality around movement. Oh, gosh, you know, if every time I bend over, my doctor's telling me my back is going to hurt, then maybe what do I do? What do I do when I have to pick up that toy off of the floor? 
And in fact, last week, or I guess it was earlier this week, I was meeting with a patient who, again, it's a lower back pain situation, um, had been told that she had a bulging disc a few years ago, had never had any imaging for it. But she told me that every so often she will do kind of a cobra Uh sort of movement. And she said, you know, to put it back in. And so I questioned her and I said, well, what do you mean by put it back in? And she said that her, her doctor had told her, her physio, whoever she had met with previously, said that this disc will slip out. And by just doing this simple movement, it, it pushes back in and, mm-hmm. and that she should avoid bending over because that's when the disc slips out. Mm-hmm. And I cleared that mess right yeah, up that's good. <laughs> because if you've been told that just know that that is a very inaccurate and quite honestly an irresponsible way to go about directing your patients and not only that but you just diagnose something someone with something that you have no evidence for right i don't know there's been a few i can i can count them on my hand but in the case of a back situation like that where they were told and there is no imaging. I've had a few of those and they were told to be careful bending forward. Same thing. So I'm going to tell you right now that patients listen to that stuff intently because Mm -hmm. I watch them move when they come see me and they legit get in and out of their chair without bending their back. Mm -hmm. They reach down and they find ways of getting down to the floor without letting their back bend. Mm -hmm. And I asked them, it's like, are you doing that because it's really stiff or because it hurts? And they're just like, oh, no, I just do it because I'm not supposed to let it bend forward. Mm-hmm. So what does that lead us to? Well, now you have a spine that you never move. Therefore, it takes on no ability to move. You mm-hmm. literally lose it. And it just I think it actually makes the situation worse in the long run. Yeah. And that's, again, going back to our point about it's really important to be evaluated and diagnosed by someone who understands the musculoskeletal system mm-hmm. well, yeah. because movement is key. That is kind of one of our truisms yep. that we have, that we not only use, but it's based in science yeah. and it is absolutely, absolutely true. So be very cautious of any provider who only tells you the things not to do rather than telling you the things that you should do. And Mm -hmm. so our approach to rehabilitation, I'm jumping ahead just a second, but our approach to rehabilitation is to always give people things that they can do. I think Mm -hmm. providing reassurance is powerful to people, encouraging them to move more. That movement is not bad, that they shouldn't panic if they feel a little twinge of pain that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's going to be okay. We just kind of need to get past this acute phase. All of those phrases and that confidence building in the patient is really important. And I think that plays into when you do give them a, a diagnosis, explaining to them just everything that goes, not just giving them a piece of paper that says, oh, here's some education about your condition. Go Google it and figure it all out for yourself. Mm-hmm. No, take the three extra minutes, mm-hmm. explain it to them. I mean, some you and I, we have whiteboards in our room. Thank goodness, because sometimes we have to, we draw and we whiteboard. We make sure that this patient has no more questions about what's going on here and making sure that they actually like we've given them action things to do to start treating this now. Yeah, exactly. So, and just to carry on with that thought a minute, 
the we will I think it's important to make sure that you understand what your imaging reports are saying. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you just even in the past month how many patients I've met with who have had imaging but they have never seen the report and I will ask them when we sit down and say have you been given this report has anyone gone over it with you and usually they've just received an email of Mm -hmm. oh you have a bulging disc in L4 L5 or nope nothing is wrong and I really enjoy pulling up the report and going through it line by line Mm -hmm. with the patient and explaining some of the terms that are even used because there are terms like, you know, degeneration or synovitis or, Mm -hmm. you know, tendonitis or whatever it might be that seem like big, scary words, but really they're not big, scary things at all. But just taking, like you said, the extra couple of minutes to explain terminology, to explain, you know, this is what this phrase really means. And then to get into the whiteboard and draw an, a diagram of a joint and the, the connective tissue and, and getting people to connect dots, I think helps them walk out of your office feeling more empowered, feeling like they have more ownership now mm-hmm. over what's going on with that injury or that issue that, that they're feeling. Yes. And then kind of lastly with how words matter is that we cannot make pain the enemy. This Mm -hmm. goes along with, you know, not avoiding movement, telling people to avoid painful movements or activities, I think creates a narrative that pain equals bad. Mm -hmm. Pain exists for a reason. And, you know, David, you and I have both done a, a pretty decent amount of study into the science of pain over the past year. And we have to understand that, pain is kind of more of an alarm signal than it is to stop what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And even when we are coaching people into what they should do for activities, so besides the rehabilitative exercises we give them, we still want people to exercise and move if that's a part of their lifestyle already. And so we try to give them workarounds that you know, if you start going for a run and maybe you have some pain or discomfort initially, but that pain improves over Mm -hmm. the course of the next few minutes, or if that pain is below a four on a scale of one to 10, then you're probably okay to continue. Mm -hmm. If that pain goes above a five, six, seven, especially, then that's the time to back off maybe. And another thing that I will do is, um, in fact, I was just meeting with a patient last week around, um, he's been having some knee pain with some lower body exercises. And I think he was surprised when I told him, you can continue squatting Mm -hmm. and I want you to continue to squat, but we're just going to adjust the range of motion, how deep you go into a squat. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just kind of this like, aha moment for him that, wow, I expected to walk into this office and walk out being told I'm not able to squat. But the fact that I can now continue to do what I love to do, but just within maybe a modified version Mm -hmm. and rehabilitate and get the knee out of pain was a really cool moment for both him and I. Yeah. So... That kind of leads us into our approach to diagnosing. Yeah. 
we do pay attention to symptoms. And I think sometimes it seems like we don't care about pain or we don't care about the tenderness that someone feels. We do care about those things. But our priority when evaluating injuries is to search for that underlying cause. Mm -hmm. We want to know what's going on with the joint. How is this individual's body sitting in front of me having to work around maybe a compromised musculoskeletal system? And, you know, a bit of education for all of the listeners is that oftentimes pain and dysfunction is a result of something going on underlying with a joint Mm -hmm. and usually something that's been going on for quite some time. Right. So for example, if someone comes to us complaining of lower back pain, which is probably what Mm -hmm. we most commonly see, our approach is yes, we're going to look at the spine. We want to see how the spine moves, but we also want to look at the hips. The spine and the hips are adjacent to each other, and if there is compromised movement in one of those segments, it's going to affect the other, no doubt. Right. So our diagnosis might sound very different than what most people are used to, and quite frankly, I think, than how many providers have been trained to assess the mm-hmm. musculoskeletal system. So common diagnosis that we make are instead of lower back pain, which, by the way, is a diagnosis, <laughs> which doesn't tell us anything about why they have lower back pain. Instead of saying lower back pain, we might say limited mobility of the lumbar spine or lack of internal rotation at the hip joint. Mm -hmm. Those things now give us an actionable thing to go after. We know now that we can attack with rehabilitation that limited mobility of the lumbar spine or limited internal rotation of the hips, decreased range of motion, hypermobility, or lack of motor control are also common diagnosis. I think the more specific you can get with a diagnosis, if you really think about it, that's what leads you into really effective rehabilitation programs. Mm -hmm. You have more broad statements. You can take, there's a thousand ways to skin that cat. When I know for a fact, somebody's missing lumbar spine flexion or hip internal rotation. Now I know as to to devise your, your plan, I know exactly how to potentially say, here's how I'd like you to modify the way you're doing deadlifts or squats or whatever those activities are. And here are some specific things that are going to target those specific mm-hmm. deficits. So, I mean, what I, we try to get as specific as possible with our diagnoses. Cause again, we're trying to figure out what's causing yeah. all of this pain or dysfunction that you're having in the first yeah. place. Yeah. There are, a hundred different reasons why you might develop lower back pain. It's Mm -hmm. just kind of an easy example for us to use. And, you know, if you have been someone that has gone to a physical therapist for lower back pain, if you've gone to a really good physical therapist, then they're going to assess the same types of things that David and I assess. But if you go to kind of a standard run of the mill doesn't have to be a physical therapist, can be an athletic trainer or a coach or a chiropractor. They literally are going into rehabilitative software programs and typing in low back pain and giving you kind of a cookie cutter rehabilitative plan. 
So if you are are familiar with the proverbial clamshells or yes. <laughs> we need to um, strengthen the lower back or stretch your hip flexors. Yeah, stretch your hip flexors. All of those things <clears throat> are not specifically addressing the cause for why your lower back pain has developed. And so that's why we get really particular about our evaluative techniques Mm -hmm. and why we really pride ourselves in personalization of a rehabilitation program so that your lower back pain is going to be treated differently than maybe your neighbor's lower back pain. Yeah. So if you are sitting there and you're thinking, wow, I was just diagnosed last week with A, B, or C, mm-hmm. what should you do with that diagnosis? So we want to give you a few action steps um, for what you can do. The first is to research what that diagnosis really means and ask questions. You are welcome to reach out to David or myself. Mm-hmm. And tell us, you know, what was your diagnosis? And we can answer your questions around that as best as possible. If we cannot, we will refer you on to someone who can. So does your diagnosis actually fit your symptoms or do your symptoms fit that diagnosis? Mm -hmm. Does the mechanism of injury actually fit your diagnosis? A lot of times it doesn't. I am surprised by the amount of people that never injured their ankle, but they come to me having been diagnosed with an ankle sprain. And the the symptoms and the diagnosis don't really fit each other. Yeah. I think the second thing, and we've kind of talked about this a little bit already, but is to be leery of absolutes. So examples of you should never do X again, run, squat, load your spine, bend over, lean back. Be leery of anyone that tells you to not do something. Mm -hmm. Um, Another one would be your days are numbered doing this. There was another story I read of um, someone who had gone in to see their provider The provider was reviewing the MRI report and he turned around and he said to his patient, oh, you're in construction, aren't you? And the guy said, yes. And the provider then starts to laugh and goes, well, not much, not for much longer. And like, that's just a terrible thing to now instill fear into someone that their job is maybe what's causing their issue and you know, now you're having this person, this poor person's now having to figure out what they're going to do for the rest of their life with their career. So if your provider says that, <laughs> go get another opinion yeah. right off the bat. Run. <laughs> I think the third thing is don't concern yourself with norms. So maybe you do have a, a correct diagnosis. You've been given the right thing. But a lot of times when we see some of these diagnoses, you'll see statistics attached to them. Mm-hmm. Like 30% of people with rotator cuff repair um, will never throw a ball again or, right. you know, whatever it might be. But just because 30% of patients with X have a specific outcome doesn't mean that you will mm-hmm. or that you have to. David and I, I think, are eternal optimists when it comes to rehabilitation and injury. And we're not going to allow the patient sitting in front of us to get trapped into that way of thinking. Right. Even if I do suspect something that like needs further imaging or something like that, 
yeah, I'll make the referral out, but guess what? He's This person's still going to be working with me, and they're still going to be doing exercises to restore mm-hmm. function no matter what. That's right. Yeah. I think you should also ask your provider what you can and should be doing to improve your injury or issue, and you need to make those things the priority. Mm-hmm. Don't focus, again, so much on what you should not do, but focus more on the what you should do. What is going to make this better? What should you increase in your daily life? And we've talked a lot about movement, but something that I don't want to neglect talking about is um, or are things like sleep, Mm -hmm. hydration, good nutrition, your stress level. All of those things are easy things to put more of in your life. Mm -hmm that are going to exponentially help you get over your injury. I can't tell you how many people we assess because we ask the question in our pre-consultation questionnaires, how much sleep do you get a night and how would you rate your stress level? So many people have that five to six hours of sleep or they rate their stress level as a seven or an eight or even nine out Mm -hmm. of 10. And just right then and there, I tell them, if you can get these two factors improved in your life, that's going to make the recovery process so much easier. And stress and sleep, like there's, it's science. It does affect your ability to heal and recover Mm -hmm. and get back to where you were. Yeah. And then the last thing I think is just address your mindset. Mm -hmm. When you've been diagnosed or maybe you're sitting there and you've had chronic lower back pain for years and years or you were diagnosed with arthritis of the knee several years ago, and or maybe you've been told that, oh, I've, I've got a knee replacement coming up in the next 10 years. I hear mm-hmm. that pretty often. I want you to sit there and ask yourself, do you believe that you can get better? Do you believe that you're going to have this problem forever? Mm-hmm. Because if you do, those are self-fulfilling prophecies and... Again, we are optimists and we believe that you can always get better. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be able to 100% move like you did when you were 12 years old? Maybe not. Right. But we know that we can always feel better than we do today. And that's really what we're after. Yeah. So hopefully we've helped to open your eyes a little bit to the problem or the danger of a diagnosis and given you some practical things to think about, some practical steps to take when you are diagnosed. And like I said, you're always welcome to reach out to myself, Rebecca Grube or David Albers um, Mm -hmm. to help you kind of vet out the diagnosis that you've been given and specifically with musculoskeletal issues, um, the rehabilitative plan that you've been provided. So thank you very much for listening in today, and we look forward to next time. Have a great day. Thank you.